Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Mint Mobile. The best part of spring cleaning is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash freak. That's mintmobile.com slash freak. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash freak. Upfront payment of $45 required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on their first three-month plan only. Speeds are slower, above 40 gigabytes on an unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Cars.com. Have you heard about the Your Garage feature on Cars.com? Here's how it works. You add your car to your garage to track its market value and cash in when the time is right to sell. Track both your car's historical and projected value. When it's time to sell, easily secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. You know what I love? I love a good boomerang story. What's a boomerang story, you say? All right, here, I'll tell you one. This one's about the price of horse manure. So back in the 19th century, when cities around the world began to grow like crazy, they were mostly powered by horse. There were more than 200,000 horses in New York City alone. Now, all those horses produced about five tons of manure a day. When the cities were smaller, there had been a healthy market for manure because farmers from the surrounding area would buy it as fertilizer. But as cities grew and took on more and more horses, there came to be a manure glut. The price of manure fell from strong positive to zero and then to negative. You actually had to pay somebody to get rid of the manure. Now, not surprisingly, most people weren't willing to pay to have their manure taken away. So it piled up on the streets. It was a nightmare in every way. It was a a health hazard. It stank. It made it hard to get around. Thankfully, the automobile and the electric streetcar came along and replaced the horse as the engine of cities. Decades passed. The horse population declined. So, therefore, did the supply of horse manure. What rose, however, was a boom in home gardening and, among a certain type of connoisseur, a demand for primo fertilizer, like horse manure. So today, a 25-pound bag of manure mulch can sell for about $15. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a boomerang story. Something that starts out in one place and then goes far away and then ends up right back where it began. On today's show, another boomerang story. This one is about a house. My house. The house of dreams. From WNYC and APM American Public Media, this is Freakonomics Radio, the podcast that explores the hidden side of everything. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. Hi, 
So I grew up in an old farmhouse in upstate New York outside of Albany in the back of beyond. The nearest town was called Quaker Street. There was one stoplight, a, a general store, a diner. There were eight kids in my family, four girls and four boys. I was the youngest, so even Stephen. I loved my family and I loved my house. So years later, after I'd gone off to college and my mom had sold the house, when the terrible thing happened to it, I took it hard. I asked my oldest sister, whose name is Mona, to help me tell the story. Hey, Mona, you there? Yes. Hey, Stephen, how's it going? Stephen, great. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Um, family okay? All real good. good. How about yours? Every, everybody's good. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, same here. So, um, as you know, um, I'm thinking about doing a, a radio show on our house. Um, and the house. The house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always think of the house as like the 11th member of the family. I don't know about you. I think of it as the house. <laughs> <laughs> capital T, yes. capital H. Yes. It was a big, drafty, white farmhouse, tin roof, asbestos shingles, everything falling apart a little bit, sitting on 36 acres of not very arable land. We were a big, rambunctious family. Lots of kids, lots of animals, a lot of activity. I think we all have our favorite memories, our favorite room in the house. Here's how my sister Mona remembers it. The kitchen, because that's where I remember, I mean, besides having to eat liver and onions and stuff (laughs) like that... (laughs) I remember our family dinners, our family meals, Sunday breakfast after church, mom making waffles, and all of us kids, you know, would sit around the table. I remember dad putting ketchup on his steak. It was family time there. Um, You know, us feeding the dogs under the table, some of the food we didn't really like. But it, it, it was family time. And I I think I've always, always valued, and I know I've always loved the family. The other favorite spot was the other side where our big old piano was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mom and dad would encourage us to play our uh, clarinets and play the piano and sing. So again, it was togetherness. Plus, that room held the TV, which we could watch uh, Sunday night, Ed Sullivan, that type of thing. Um, I always think whenever I drive by, I think of um, how in the summer sometimes the whole mom and dad would round us up to all recite the rosary in the afternoon on the lawn there. Kneeling (laughs) in the grass, right. Um, That image is imprinted in my brain, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We were a very, very Catholic family. Now, my parents were both born as Jews in Brooklyn. But before they met each other, they each converted to Catholicism. And like a lot of converts, whether it's religion or politics or the former smoker who used to smoke three packs a day, they were extremely devout about their new faith. And so we were too. So I, like my brothers before me, was an altar boy from about the age of four. Uh, We prayed a lot. We obeyed the teachings of the Catholic Church, for the most part at least. And holidays, like Christmas, they weren't just holidays. They were holy days celebrated in the religious spirit. So the house itself, or the house, as my sister Mona calls it, it felt kind of consecrated. 
And that's why it was so strange, so unsettling when we learned that something so profane had happened there after we moved. I talked to Chris Wolf, an old family friend who still runs the local general store. <laughs> now, uh, so we should just say I, I used to work for you back um, in my early teens at your general store, Wolf's Market, Quaker Street, New York. I stocked shelves and I mopped floors. I mowed the lawn. I don't think I was a very good employee, honestly. Um, well, you were um, on time, and you were clean, and you did your job, mm-hmm. and you never gave me any trouble. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly a ringing <laughs> endorsement, but that's all right. I'll take it. <laughs> that's a I'll good endorsement. <laughs> and you were now, good to the people. You know, all right. everybody all right. liked you. So Quaker Street is a small town, obviously, and Chris Wolf eventually hears about just about anything that's going on there, including what happened to my house. Well, when we first heard about your mom selling the house, uh, you know, after your dad had passed away, mm-hmm. and uh, she was there for a while, and then she sold it, and um, and then this couple took it over, and then it wasn't for a little while when they were there that we found out that, and through the grapevine around here, as small towns have grapevines, uh, that um, it was being turned into an adult swinging house. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yep, that's right. My house, my very proper house with my very Catholic family, was sold off to a couple who turned it into a swinger's house, a sex club, a sex farm. They called it the House of Dreams. Coming up on Freakonomics Radio, things get worse at the House of Dreams before they get better. You could write your sexual fantasy and send it in with a deposit or a big check, and then they would accommodate your fantasy. Economics Radio is sponsored by True Green. True Green takes care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn so you can take care of everything else in your busy schedule. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration and more so you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you know you're in good hands because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. That's T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com. 
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Southern Company. As a national leader in carbon-free nuclear energy, Southern Company has a vision of a resilient energy future, and every day they're putting it in motion. That means balancing the responsibility and reliability of their existing infrastructure while also investing in carbon-free nuclear energy along with wind and solar power as an essential component of preserving our environment. With energy demand on the rise, their balanced approach to a net-zero future centers around creating jobs, helping communities thrive, and meeting demand for carbon-free energy in a way that's affordable, reliable, and safe for all. Because a stronger and more equitable tomorrow is only possible through investments in our communities today. Learn more at southerncompany.com. From WNYC and APM American Public Media, this is Freakonomics Radio. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. So I've known Chris Wolf since I was a kid. I used to work at the general store that she ran and still runs with her husband, Denny. Chris was the one who first told me about my family's old house. So, um, Chris, I remember how I first found out that my beloved old house had been turned into a sex club. Do you remember? Which was several years after it had been going, I should yeah, say. Do you, you remember? Really yeah. Do you remember? So do you remember that day I came back yes, home? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And I came into the store and I said, hey, Chris, we're catching up. And I think I just said something like, you know, how's the house? You know, it's this house I lived in forever. And you said, mm-hmm. you don't know. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> no, what? And you're like, oh, boy. At one point, Chris told me she got hold of an application for the House of Dreams. I asked her what kind of information they wanted. Well, of course, you know, your name, your address. Uh, uh, Well, I didn't want to know your social security number, that's for sure. And so (laughs) then they said uh, they wanted to know what your preferences were. Your sexual preferences, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sexual preferences, your um, uh, race, uh, uh, how much you made. Were you supposed to attach a picture? A picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of these people that came in, some of these guys that used to come in, used to have their hair slicked back, you know, with that greasy stuff, and mm-hmm. used to have like striped shirts and and plaid uh, <laughs> pants. I mean, it was it's a riot. I mean, so they stuck out a little bit in little old Quaker Street, yeah. Uh, kind of, yeah. But it was quite, a, and you know, a lot of people around here try to close it down. But and I know the cops went up there. You know, some of the BCI boys went up there and. And they'd come down and they'd talk to us. And I said, well, what are you going to do about that? They said, there's nothing we can do about it because it's consenting adults. You really want to know the details I found out? That's my sister, Mona, again. Um, A couple years before Mom died, um, you told me about it, so I started researching it. And what I remember is this is what you could do. You could write your fantasy, Mm -hmm. 
your sexual fantasy and send it in with a deposit <laughs> or a big check. And then they would accommodate your fantasy. That's all I remember from researching it. I've probably blocked other stuff out. And then I remember thinking, I'm just going to kill them. Our bedroom, the girls' bedroom is involved in this. We were the most pure girls in the area. We were raised strictly and morally and, you know, nothing like that ever went on in the house when we lived there. And now it was like a desecration and a huge slap in the face to our family and to the house. I was upset for the house, strange as that might sound. I didn't think that sounded strange at all. I was upset for the house, too. And for us, for my mom especially, we weren't sure what to tell her, if anything. We debated whether we should maybe just keep it secret, but I decided it was wrong somehow to hold out this information that she might hear from somebody else. And the amazing thing is, when we did tell her, she handled it better than any of us. She said, you know, it's just a house. The house wasn't us, wasn't the family. We were the family. The house was just sticks and stones. Now, I want to believe this, that a house has no allegiance to the people who live in it. But I couldn't quite get there. It still hurt. And my sister Mona felt pretty much the same way. So this is... You know, I know we're just two people in the world who mm -hmm. don't amount to a hill of beans or anything, but I still mm -hmm. maintain that this was at one point the saddest story in the world. <laughs> in that, I totally you know, agree with you. It was, yeah. it was, it really was our house, the house as you call it, the 11th member of the family. Mm -hmm. And if it were to end here, the story would be the dang saddest story ever. Yeah, and, and I'd still be very, very angry. Although, um, you know, I've learned to let go of that. And <laughs> you what have you said. <laughs> you, you so have not. But that's okay. I've learned how to you deal fake it with well. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, thanks. Okay. But that's not the end of the story. No, right. What a lovely surprise. It turns out that just recently, the house got back to being a home. You can go first, babe. <laughs> Aaron Yerden, work for distribution center at Walmart, and uh, play in a rock band. Well, I guess that pretty much sums me up. Well, <laughs> hang on. You're not only a proud homeowner, but also a, a home renovator. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's a very good one. <laughs> yeah, unbelievably good. Okay, Danica, your turn. Uh, my name is Danica Lynn. I work for uh, the New York State Tax Department. Uh, and as you know, in my spare time, I love to renovate homes, and I like to paint and do stained glass and mosaics. This past summer, I was upstate with my wife and kids visiting Mona and her family, and we decided to take a drive out to Quaker Street. We wanted to visit the cemetery where my parents are buried, stop in at Wolf's Market, maybe even drive by the house. Now, I had tried this once before with my kids a few years ago. The guy who answered the door was the sex club guy. And even though I played dumb, just told him I grew up there and I only wanted now my kids to see the house, 
he shooed me away. So this time, we planned just to drive past the house. But my son, Solomon, when he saw the house, he really, really, really wanted to knock on the door, meet the people who live there, maybe take a look around. So Mona and my wife and I are all looking at each other. No, bad idea. But Solomon was insistent. It was a Sunday morning, about 11 o'clock. I figure, what the hell? So we parked in the driveway. There was only one car there. Good sign, no sex party going on. And I gave a knock, expecting, of course, the sex club guy again. But it wasn't him. It was this nice young couple, Aaron and Danica. You turned around. Someone had opened the door. You turned around and I wish I recorded what you said. It was so cute. Said something like, Come on in. They're friendly here or something like that. Do you remember <laughs> I, what you said? I, in my, what I think I said was, hey, it's new owners and they're not jerks. Um, but oh. that may- <laughs> <laughs> The new owners, Danica and Aaron, are very much not jerks. They're nice and talented people who, it turns out, love old houses, especially our old house. They're renovating it beautifully. And we jumped right over all the things that we thought we had to do right away and dived right into opening archways up and ripping floors up. And our most recent project is um, that porch where the, the jacuzzi was at one point. Uh, that room is going to be an actual living room soon. We've reframed walls, uh, redone the entire floor. We actually removed the uh, two sliding doors that were kind of dilapidated and put in a single French door for our uh, back entrance. When you walk in through the French doors, it just has that just openness, you know, and it's like a breath of fresh air. As happy as we were to know that our house was in good hands, Danica and Aaron were happy to know that a nice family used to live here before it was a sex club. They wanted to hear our stories about the game closet and the hallway where my sisters used to talk on the phone to their boyfriends and about the upstairs bathroom that my brother Peter turned into a dark room. And us being us, not exactly a shy family, we told them everything. I was ecstatic with this young couple. What they were doing to the house was gorgeous and it was wiping out any remnants of the sex club. But it was really, they were restoring this house to a, say, a former glory or a current glory that our family couldn't do because of lack of finances and time and talent, maybe. Yeah. Um, so and having eight was, kids running around. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, right? I mean, yeah, they were just they everything they could do to just keep everything uh, together. So that it was like a trip down memory lane, painted with a modern uh, brush. Uh, it's hard to explain because they, the rooms were all still there. Here's Joe's room. Here's the girl's room. Stephen, here's the alcove where you were. Oh, look, the upstairs bathroom works now. Wow. Um, it, was, it was amazing. And I think gave all of us that day, especially you and I, a sense of real happiness over this house. So that's my boomerang story. I know it's not as dramatic as the horse manure story, but I hope you find it 
constructive, the tale of my old house becoming an orgy castle. If nothing else, it tweaks the old conventional wisdom. You know, Thomas Wolfe, no relation to Wolfe's Market, by the way, writing, you can't go home again? Well, actually, you can go home again. Sometimes, you just have to wait a while. Coming up on the next Freakonomics Radio, how much does a boss, especially a good boss, actually matter? Does a good boss make you more productive? We can opine all we want, but wouldn't it be nice to actually have some data on the topic? Hey, people, we've got the data. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Freakonomics Radio is produced by WNYC, APM, American Public Media, and Dubner Productions. Our staff includes Susie Lechtenberg, Catherine Wells, David Herman, Justin Jimenez, Beret Lamb, and Chris Bannon. Colin Campbell is our executive producer. If you want more Freakonomics Radio, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes or go to Freakonomics.com, where you'll find lots of radio, a blog, the books, and more. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.